Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast that has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who proves you don't have to have red curls to be adorable. It's Lydia. Oh, Lars, mister, it's so kind of you to say that. (laughs) (laughs) We will get into that, but I do think little Becky was one of my favorite things about this film. Oh, that's so kind of you to say, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Becky really likes you, too. (laughs) Well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in to this month's episode. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you get your podcast and wherever you choose to listen. If you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. Uh, It really does help get the show out to more people. Another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you are listening to on on whatever social media platform you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites, as well as our YouTube channel, where you can watch many of the films we've covered here on the show. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. Let's listen to an Ellery Queen one-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we'll tap dance our way around the plot of 1939's The Little Princess. Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. This is Ellery Queen with a case I call the Bad Man's Bad Man. The descendant of a famous Western cattle baron tried to sue a writer for using his grandfather's name in a story. The plot was so close to an episode that happened in real life, the descendant was suing for libel. In the story, the villain stops a cattle drive by setting up barbed wire. When I asked the descendant when his grandfather died, he told me, in 1870. Then you have no case, I told him. And in a moment, I'll tell you why. Okay, you know what it's like. You're flicking through Amazon or the local DVD shop when suddenly you discover a film that you haven't seen in years, but which you remember as being legendary. The purchase is hastily made, you invite friends over, make popcorn and settle down to watch this classic. Then it becomes apparent that your mind has double-crossed you, and that this film is frankly awful. Soon your friends have deserted you, your boss says he has to let you go, and even your dog won't come when you call. How did it go so wrong? Well, in the interests of public harmony, a new podcast I saw that years ago sets out to watch the old films that your memory has convinced you are brilliant, but which in reality could be anything but. So join me, your host Martin Darkley, and my compatriot, Gentleman Joe, as we watch the old films so you don't have to. Find us at www.isawthatyearsago.com or on iTunes. In the case of the bad man's bad man, the descendant said his grandfather died in 1870. Barbed wire wasn't invented until four years after that, so there couldn't be any libel intended. Listen again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. The Little Princess is a musical drama loosely based on the 1905 novel A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett. It stars Shirley Temple, Arthur Treacher, Anita Louise, Richard Green, Mary Nash, and Cesar Romero. This is the first Shirley Temple film to be shot in Technicolor. Great pains were taken to make everything period correct in this film, uh, in this case, 1899 England. 
Sarah's doll was made to the exact specifications of dolls of the time, and production was actually held up when it was discovered that an outfit to be worn by Temple had snap fasteners that weren't invented for another decade. Hmm. In the film, Captain Reginald Crewe must ship out to fight in the Second Boer War in South Africa, where, and he re- enrolls his young daughter in a school for girls run by Miss Minchin and her brother Hubert. Minchin is more than happy to have little Sarah in the school due to all the money that the captain can offer the school. Sarah gets a large private room and is treated well by Minchin and other teachers, especially Miss Rose and the writing instructor Mr. Jeffrey, who are also involved in a secret love affair. News from the war is bleak at first, but word comes that the battle at Mafeking, where crew was stationed, has finally been won and Sarah expects her father home soon. During a lavish birthday party for Sarah, paid for in advance from, by Miss Manchin, a solicitor arrives and meets with Minchin. He has news that Captain Crew has been killed and his properties have been confiscated by the enemy. Sarah has been left an orphan and a pauper. Not wanting to give her school a bad name for kicking Sarah out, she forces Sarah to become a servant in the school, and she's moved to a cold attic room next to another servant girl, Becky. Refusing to believe that he is dead, Sarah sneaks out of the school every night to search the returning wounded soldiers arriving at a local hospital in hopes of reuniting with her father. A little bit about Shirley Temple. It's the first time we've covered her on the show. Mm-hmm. Her mother encouraged her to develop her singing, dancing, and acting. And it was at a dance school that Charles Lamont, who was casting director for Educational Pictures, who just uh, discovered her and asked her to audition. She was signed to a contract in 1932 with the studio. Educational Pictures launched a series of 10-minute comedy shorts called Baby Burlesques. These short films satirized recent films and events using preschool children in all the roles. Temple appeared as a saloon singer in Glad Rags to Riches, a parody of the Mae West film She Done Him Wrong. <laughs> Later that year, she appeared in several others, and she became the breakout star in a series. The studio promoted her to 20-minute comedy series, Frolics of Youth, and she was lent out to other studios for several films. Fox Film Corporation cast her in the film Stand Up and Cheer, and then signed her to a $150 a week contract in 1933 that was guaranteed for only two weeks. Mm-hmm. But after seeing how well she performed, it was extended to a full year with a seven-year option. Her mother was hired as her personal hairdresser and trainer for $25 a week. Stand Up and Cheer was a huge success. Temple then appeared in Baby Take a Bow, and then later in the 1934 film, Bright Eyes, which was written as a vehicle especially for her and included the song on the good ship Lollipop, which became her signature song. It was at this point that Temple's parents realized that she was being underpaid and her image was appearing on commercial products without consent or compensation. They hired the lawyer to represent them and negotiate with the studio. And the result, Temple's salary was raised to 1000 per week, with her mother receiving a raise to $250 a week with an additional $15,000 bonus for each completed film. That's the equivalent today of getting paid $18,000 a week. Yes. A week. That yes. is a lot of money. That's, <laughs> when I see some of these numbers from the 1930s and 40s for some of these actors, 
<laughs> and then you you figure it out what it's good what it would be. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's that insane. Is a lot of money, but she made so much money for the studios. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that I'm sure that was just a pittance as far as the studio is concerned for mm-hmm. all the money they were bringing in. Oh yeah, definitely. From 1934 to 1938, she was Hollywood's number one box office draw. Films in that era included Now and Forever, where she starred alongside Gary Cooper and Carol Lombard, The Little Colonel, Curly Top, where another popular Temple song, Animal Crackers in My Soup, appears. By 1936, Temple's salary was up to $2,500 a week. And by the end of the 1930s, but, but by the end of the 1930s, her popularity began to wane. The Little Princess would be Shirley Temple's last successful feature as a child star. The Bluebird, a very expensive and much-anticipated fantasy adventure made the following year, in 1940, proved to be a box office bomb. She continued to appear in a few films in the 40s, as well as appear on radio, and was very successful at lending her image to promote children's merchandise. She also had a diplomatic and political career. She became active in the California Republican Party, and in 1967, she ran in a special election to fill a vacancy left when Representative Arthur Younger passed away. She lost, but came in second with over 22% of the votes behind the winner, who garnered 34. Her unsuccessful run, however, brought her to the attention of other politicians impressed with her knowledge of world affairs. She was appointed as a delegate uh, of the 24th United Nations General Assembly by Richard Nixon, and as an ambassador to Ghana by Gerald Ford. She also served as ambassador to Czechoslovakia after being appointed to the position by George H.W. Bush. At the age of 44 in 1972, Temple was diagnosed with and survived breast cancer. At that time, cancer was still typically discussed quietly. Her public disclosure is considered a milestone in proving breast cancer awareness and helping to remove any stigma around the disease. She died at the age of 85 in 2014 of chronic lung disease. A lifelong cigarette smoker, but she avoided showing her habit in public because she didn't want to set a bad example for her fans. Wow. (laughs) I thought that was fantastic. That is very interesting. A real quick mention of Arthur Treacher, as that name may seem familiar with some listeners. He was a British film and stage actor known for playing butler and manservant types. He appeared several times with Shirley Temple as the kind butler, once in 1935's Curly Top, and again in 1937's Heidi, as well as a, a, a valet in 1936's Stowaway. There were often scenes intentionally scripted to show the six-foot-four actor next to the tiny actress. <laughs> he became very well known to TV audiences in the mid-1960s as the announcer and sidekick to Merv Griffin on The Merv Griffin Show. And he lent his name to Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips chain of restaurants. And just a little bit of trivia, personal trivia, it was at one of these restaurants that my sister-in-law and her husband met. Oh, that's awesome. That's totally, it's worth mentioning too, he was also in National Velvet. And the big one that I knew him from was, he was the constable in Mary Poppins. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And there was a lot of... uh, fun little connections with the other actors uh, we were before we started recording uh, Lydia here was going through and pulling up all this stuff where uh, 
uh, Richard Green had had appeared, and that is another actor. There, there is. This is a really strong cast. It's huge. There, it's worth mentioning. Shirley Temple was in Heidi two years before this with two other actors from this movie. At least two other, two others that I know of. Mary Nash, who played Miss Minchin, and then also the the evil older girl Lavinia, played by Marsha yes. Jones, who was Clara in the in Heidi. And so they actually had acted together pretty closely because the story in that is that Claire is, I believe, an invalid. So they bring in Heidi to kind of be her companion and yada, yada, yada. Anybody that hasn't seen it, go see it. It's a classic. But I thought that was interesting that she had looked really familiar to me. And I couldn't think why, aside from, of course, seeing this movie a dozen times when I was a kid. And then it turned out that she was also in Heidi. That was interesting. Yeah, very cool. I this is probably the first time I'm going to say this is the first time that I've watched a sh- that it, in memory anyway that I've watched a Shirley Temple film from beginning to end. Really? I I I know for sure that Shirley Temple films were on in the afternoon, you know, back in the day when your UHF station would have, you know, Saturday and Sunday matinee films and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I know there had to have been Shirley Temple films on the television, but <laughs> those aren't the films that I generally gravitated to. And so I probably didn't watch them or I didn't watch them with a lot of attention. So yeah, I, my Shirley Temple uh, movie knowledge I, is very lacking compared to many. Nope. Certainly probably compared to you. Definitely compared to me. So let's see. So, you know, th- let's go through all of the movies that Lydia grew up watching. <laughs> so, and this is an interesting household because my mom loved Shirley Temple and my dad hated Shirley Temple. <laughs> and so it was one of those things. So I, when I was growing up regularly, we would frequently watch, of course, uh, the first one would be The Stowaway. Great movie, adorable, oh, such a cute movie. Uh, Heidi, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. If you guys haven't seen that one, what the heck are you doing with your lives? The Little Princess. Uh, and then Miss Annie Rooney. When It was only filmed three years after this, but it's Shirley Temple as a teenager. Mm. And then, of course, the classic best one all time, Myrna Loy, Cary Grant, Shirley Temple, and The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. It is hilarious. It's probably, it's probably Cary Grant's funniest movie. And so if you haven't watched that one, look that one up. But I grew up watching all of those on a regular basis. She was also in Fort Apache. Am I t- I'm going crazy here. No, I'm not going crazy here. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, and then she was in the, the story of Seabiscuit. So all of those, like, I just, you know, was inundated with Shirley Temple growing up. <laughs> Which is really interesting because you guys might not know this about me, but I look exactly like Shirley Temple right now. Oh, absolutely. When she was seven years old. I look <laughs> just like that. <laughs> Lydia's little cherub face and the... In the curls. Yeah. <laughs> it's not true. But <laughs> but I did grow up watching a lot of Shirley Temple movies. And um, yeah, and it's interesting to come back and revisit them. It's especially fun to come back and revisit it as an adult who critically thinks about film. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be fun talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was a lot of fun when you watch her. Obviously, I knew about Shirley Temple. And... I sit there and watch this film now and realize that she was 10 or 11 years old. And you do think, that's a lot of talent packed into that young child. Mm-hmm. And that this is towards the end of her, at least as a child star, this is at the end of her heyday. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so all the stuff that came that really made her famous, she did when she was younger. seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Yeah, and and even younger than that. Right. It's, it's astonishing. She's it astonishingly is. talented. Yeah, it's amazing. And she and when you see her, especially, you know, opposite adults like Arthur Treacher, where she, they're doing a dance routine together, and she's interacting with him, and her responses seem so grown up. Yeah, very and it's natural. A, it's a little weird. <laughs> She's very, yeah, very natural. Her And then her facial expressions and the way she responds, when she responds at the time she does, it's, it's excellent. And so it would have been just like fascinating to be a fly on the wall in any of these studios, seeing if that's just her or if she's being very carefully coached to do all this. Mm. I think it would have been fascinating. And I know there's behind the scenes video, tons I'm sure of Shirley Temple out there. And now I'm kicking myself that I didn't watch any of it before we're talking about this. I'm definitely gonna have to go and do that. Yeah, but I'd be curious, especially at the time that any behind the scene footage I think would be filmed by and controlled by the studio. That's very true, yeah. And even even interviews at the time, though, things, well, but no, you're exactly right. Anything that they did on the radio, anything that they did, of course, it, we're talking 1939, there's not TV. We're yeah. not seeing that yet. But anything even, you know, or, you know, the Oscars, for example, which I'm certain she was special, you know, was a special guest on or hosted and things like that. It just would be really interesting to see any of that kind of, it's still scripted, but not highly directed. I know we mentioned too that originally the role of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz was intended for Shirley Temple. And so having watched now a full Shirley Temple movie all the way through, I'm really interested to hear at some point your reaction to, oh, how would have The Wizard of Oz have been with Shirley Temple in it? I That would have been really, I think it would have been quite different. I, I think. Shoot, what's her name in uh, Wizard of Oz? <laughs> I had it until you said, what's her name? <laughs> Dorothy, played by Liza Minnella's Judy, Judy mom. Garland. Judy Garland. Judy Garland. <laughs> uh, I, I think Judy Garland just... Well, first of all, it's really hard to sit back and, and try to recast a film that is so ingrained in everyone's memory. Oh, gosh, yes. But, but looking at it, I think this is supposed to be a Kansas farm girl... And I think Judy Garland kind of had that not Hollywood superstar kind of look about her. Mm -hmm. So I think that worked well for the character. And of course, I, I'm honest, honestly, I don't really know what Shirley Temple was like as a older teenager. I'm really only familiar with her as the child star. Yeah. <laughs> and The Wizard of Oz was filmed the year after this. Oh, that's true. So Shirley, Temp so Shirley Temple would have still been 10, 11 years old. Yeah, the same oh, okay. kind of... Yeah, I don't think it would have worked. Shirley Temple is, in this film, and I, I guess in previous films, she has found a way to sort of weaponize a, being adorable. <laughs> that is, I think, the most accurate description I've ever heard of Shirley Temple. Weaponized adorableness. Well, I, I told... <laughs> I told my wife as we were watching this film, is like she's aggressively cute, and, she and I said, is. I actually, I actually said that she's found a way to weaponize a dimple. Uh, <laughs> it's that's dead on, and, and then she's very. It's a very polished kind of cuteness. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's sort of a very. I almost I keep wanting to use the word coached. Um, it's very very intentionally adorable, 
there's innocence, but it feels like a scripted innocence. And so there's a, a great scene. There's a great scene. There's a whole great movie called Stowaway with Shirley Temple in it. It's just wonderful. Um, stars Robert Young. He's wonderful again uh but there's a scene where she says something and she quips a joke and starts laughing immediately just a heartbeat before he does and it's such a natural cute laugh but it's absolutely um an intentional laugh and so i always that one little scene i always kind of wonder because she's got this adorable cute little kid laugh but and she's excellent at it when she's singing and then she's like singing something and laughs while she's singing but i can't avoid the feeling that all of it is very very carefully choreographed just like danny Kay, who's hilarious but very carefully choreographed even to the point where he's shaking his head so hard his hair is going everywhere it's all very intentional so it i think you're right about judy garland i think to me doesn't feel so polished so Mm -hmm. very carefully controlled almost So it'd be interesting, but definitely, I think you're exactly right. A very, very, very different movie. Honestly, if they had cast all the people they originally intended to cast in The Wizard of Oz, it probably would not have done nearly as well as it did. It'd be interesting to go back. I'm sure there's been many books. I know um, Shirley Temple actually wrote an uh, an autobiography. And uh, or at least she had a, a biography written about her. I'm sure there's been other biographies. I wonder if any of those kind of go into detail about her career as a child star and how much was, you know, someone like, as you said, handling her and coaching her and, okay, would you look at Adam do this uh, sort of thing, you know, but even if that's the case, she still manages to pull it off and make it feel and look natural. Yeah. And I definitely don't mean to imply that any of that coaching is, it bad <laughs> it's more that it, it it's almost more impressive if like because you know we've all heard stories of fred astaire practicing for hours and hours and hours and you can watch two captures of him doing the same dance side by side and there's almost not a single thing out of step it's hard to tell they're two different videos because he's so he- heavily practiced for her as a 10 year old to be that receptive or perceptive um, and able to respond with that level of, you said adorableness. I don't know. There's a there's a word for it, but I'm having trouble finding it. That is remarkable for her age, even mm-hmm. if it's all completely coached. Because we have all seen hundreds of child actors who are obviously being directed and still can't get it quite right. And she never misses it. Like, there's never a scene where you're going, mm, she's not quite giving it her all there. Right. There just never is that moment. Yeah, I'm not believing this one. Right, yeah. Yeah. It says something to her level of just acting as well, that if she's being coached and if someone's directing her to look this way, think that this, do this, she pulls it off. I mean, that is still her, I think, talent to make it look 
like it's coming straight from her, mm-hmm. even as if it's an eight not. year old or a 10 year old. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. And the laugh, even if it comes just a little too early, it still sounds completely natural. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. You can't not smile. You can't see her interacting with the adults around her. And it, it, this is an interesting movie to me. There's, I feel like very few movies where she is directly interacting with other kids. Mm-hmm. She has two or three different characters in this that are around her age that she's interacting with very closely and it's it's adorable at one part there's one scene where she's interacting with becky and what's going on and it's just the two of them on stage on the on stage on the screen and it's so cute but it what you usually see is her interacting with adults and she like really pulls up a level of maturity that you would not see in every movie you, she pulls up a level of maturity that is not natural to a seven, eight, nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. So I, there's, it's not, a, it's no wonder at all that she was the major box office hit for four years of Hollywood during the height of it. And she only made, I was looking through about four movies a year during a time when people could be making up to like 20 movies in a year. And she was only making four and was getting that kind of pay, which is good. I mean, she's a child. She, they shouldn't have been working her 20 movies, right? <laughs> but it's just incredible. And I think that her talent is reflected, obviously, by all of that. That all is... I, I, don't, I don't look at her and go, man, I just don't get it. I don't get why they paid her so much. I totally get why they paid her so much. And she's incredible opposite adults, which is amazing with a kid. I was reading a little bit online, and take some of this as you as you will. But supposedly there was a a rumor going around at the time that she wasn't actually a child, <laughs> but, but was instead like a thirty year old dwarf. Wow. Well, hey, you know what? The tabloids never leave us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's um. I, I have an anecdote to go with that that I'm not going to share <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's totally unrelated. But that is okay. really actually funny. That's hilarious that that's <clears throat> people are very special. Yeah, <laughs> very special. That that was the biggest of the rumors that I that I read. Of course, there was many that you claimed that that wasn't her real hair, that she wore a wig, and that would fans would kind of you know, tug at them at her oh. curls. When I, I assumed to, she had. Not extensions, but, you know, a, a bump up or something like that. Because in this movie is a great example. There are a couple of scenes where her hair is about the same size as her head. And and I'm looking at it going, wow, how how does she have so much hair? But, yeah. No, I, really think it, I think that weird. was all her oh, hair. And her mom was like her uh, her hairdresser. You know, she's the one that started styling it in the uh, the the little ringlets the classic shirley temple hairstyle which yes. is i mean that's the shirley temple hairstyle mm-hmm. it's really interesting it's like <laughs> when, when when we were younger and you'd get the the rachel from friends right you go into the hairstylist <laughs> and say i need i want a rachel mm-hmm. a rachel haircut it's really funny yeah, it, it has been going on since Hollywood was a thing, that you had a star with a, with a hairdo like Shirley Temple. I'm sure there was tons of girls that wanted oh, yeah. their hair like Shirley Temple. Absolutely. And this is in the 1930s, 1940s. Yeah. It happened in the 50s, 60s. Every decade has that hairstyle that's picked up by the some film or television star. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned that you really enjoyed Becky. 
Yes. yes. Let's talk about Civil Jason a little bit. Yeah. She apparently, uh, from what I read, that the studio was hoping she would be kind of like a um, a replacement for Shirley Temple, or at least a, uh, a competition for her. Mm-hmm. And there was even a little animosity on the set at first between the two star the, the two child stars interesting i missed that little bit but yeah i also had read that she was initially brought in as to be competition for for shirley temple which is interesting seeing her in this movie where she has a let's say less than authentic cockney accent yeah this is definitely like dick van dyke and uh <laughs> mary poppins <laughs> level <laughs> But yeah. there's a payoff, I feel, for her having this accent. It made me laugh out loud at, at the birthday party where she presents a gift to, <laughs> to young Sarah. And she on this little heart that she made, she's got spelled out in full cockney, as, as she would say it, many happy returns. <laughs> many happy returns. <laughs> Here's my Christmas, and I'm so very good. Oh, thank you, Becky. And I'm nothing but friendless, and the friend I'm so very new. Oh, you dear Becky, you made it all yourself. Yes, miss. I made it a night. I knew you could pretend to buy setting with diamond pins stuck in. It, it's beautiful, Becky. I shall love it. Oh, really, miss? Friend lines are very new. And this isn't so very new either. It's my present to you. A present for me, Miss? Yes, Becky, with my love. Oh, what is it, Miss? It's a scarab from Egypt. My daddy gave it to me because it brings good luck. I'd rather you had it than anyone else I know. Oh, Lomas. I think I'm going to find. Oh, no, Becky. Not now. I have lots more presents for you, too, in my room. I don't know what to say, Miss. Sweet Becky. <laughs> it was hilarious. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, she's and I mean she's an adorable kid. She's yeah. just got these incredible. I keep thinking every time I see her, and especially when she's looking like down the camera, I keep thinking of the artful Dodger from Oliver, the the one that we all know, right? Okay. That those huge blue eyes, and I. I don't. I don't think they're related in any way. But I just kept seeing her as a girl version of the Artful Dodger, <laughs> which is it's just what hit my head. So or hit my head. Hit, I guess I hit my head. <laughs> I don't know of anything else that I that I saw her in. I'm you know going through her list of what she was in. I don't recall seeing her in anything else. She was in the Blue Group of Shirley Temple, which you mentioned did not do very well in the theaters. It's it's funny that she was intended as a comp, as a competitor for Shirley Temple, but then like none of us have heard of her. Well, she uh, I think because the because um, it she didn't take off like the studio had hoped. Um, you know her roles became fewer and fewer, and I think she just she retired from acting. That might be why. Yeah, I, it still kind of it's it's funny. It's hard to pinpoint, especially when you're talking about child actors, right? It's hard to pinpoint why it worked so well for one person and did not work for another person. You know, Drew Barrymore in E.T. was, that was just a golden role for her. Like, 
any she was in other stuff but that's what you know her for and anybody else that i actually was thinking about that earlier today i thought shirley temple's like the original disney girl <laughs> because like she was so big for so long and then she just like she didn't actually just fall off the scope but she went in on, on and did other things too but it's there's like a a parallel there where you, for the period of time that she's young she's incredibly popular incredibly famous and prolific and then just kind of disappears like smoke i'm glad that shirley temple was one of the rare uh child stars that went through hollywood and was successful in in life after her yes. film career and didn't yeah. implode like <laughs> drew barrymore yeah, and so many other people. We can just go through yeah. a whole list. But, yeah, it is, it's, I, it's interesting because when you were talking about her mother being the primary impetus in her career, I immediately thought of, of course, like every beauty queen child. Stage mom, yeah. Oh, uh, and immediately, like, you get a little cringy. But it sounds like she actually did a really great job with her, so it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I went into research being a little nervous because it's like okay i i know shirley temple was successful as a child star and then you know her 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 star waned but you know i was afraid i was going to find all this stories about you know drug and alcohol abuse and 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 rehab and judy garland all over again yes yeah Yeah. it it doesn't seem to be there so either she's got uh a lot better uh pr people (laughs) or she managed to uh she managed managed to escape all of it she turned into a natalie portman instead (laughs) definitely the adults in this movie take the back seat um, we mentioned Richard Green, uh, who I know from a movie, if you can ever find it, I probably have mentioned it in the past, called The Desert Hawk. Um, haven't been able to find it ever again, but it's just one of those that I grew up with it on VHS, you know, from Turner Classic Movies and never have been able to find it again, but would love to. And then it's kind of funny that the other people that are in this, they all, like you mentioned, it's a very strong cast and it really is. Anybody that you go through looking at all of the things that they were in, you're going to have seen them in at least something else. Interestingly, I uh, did you catch on? Did you catch that Anita Luis? We've already seen her in another movie. I did. You know what I did? And I didn't. Um, what was it? It was. Uh, I know I had mentioned her before because I know I had talked about the WAMPAS uh, mm-hmm. babies. Um, it I'm was sure the gorilla, which we were yes. incredibly disappointed she didn't have a bigger role in. Yes, yes, thank you. That was the one with the, the, the three comedians and stuff. Yes. And, yeah, okay. And and then it felt like they threw in the romance for no good reason, but we really liked her character and would have liked to have seen more of her. Well, we get to see more of her in this. Yeah. Not that she has a great deal to do in this other than just you know look doe-eyed <laughs> at Richard eyes. Green exactly <laughs> yeah which that's her role they could have just called her doe-eyes yep exactly and you know Richard Green they could have just called him the cute dude right so, <laughs> it, is, it is an interesting story though so so yeah I'm very you mentioned this is the first Shirley Temple movie you've ever sat down and watched all the way through mm-hmm. so what was your, what was your reaction what was your response I thought it was fun. I I will admit I was expecting more song and dance. Mm-hmm. I I really thought this would be more of a music, an actual musical. Mm-hmm. And outside of the um, the dream 
uh, sequence that we get toward, I don't know, what, what the, like the three-quarter mark or something. Way, yeah, really close it, to the end. Right, pretty close to the end of the film. We only get like um, one or two little song and dance numbers with, uh, with, with Shirley Temple and Arthur Treacher. Mm-hmm. So that surprised me. But yeah, overall, I thought it was, I thought it was a fun film. But okay. <laughs> I, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's kind of jumping right to the to the end of the show. But to the meat, <laughs> right? This has been the Shirley Temple Hour. I really, <laughs> I really did enjoy that dream sequence, though, uh, just because I thought the uh, the rhymes and the puns were just spot on. I, yeah. I really got a kick out of those. I know when we talked about doing this this movie for our show, I said, oh, this he saw, oh, this he saw, I saw, I saw, you saw, he saw, she saw. What she tells us may be true. And if it is, what can we do? If you ask me, we should listen to the lad who did the kissing. I object would not be wise. He would only tell you lies. Let him speak. Come, lad, this way. Now then, what have you to say? Please, Your Highness, I confess, when I saw such loveliness, it was too much to resist. I just thought she should be kissed. So I kissed her. Kissed her twice. It was very, very nice. So he kissed her. Kissed her twice. It was very, very nice. There, you see, he broke the law. What I say, I saw, I saw. Please don't start all that again. But he stole a kiss, that's plain. Yes, it looks as if it's true, and I'll have to punish you. No, please, let me say a word. It is not the way you heard. Please, he did not steal the kiss. I gave it to him, just like this. <laughs> having not seen this movie probably since I was about 14 years old I remembered that nice. that was the thing I remembered right that and of course the incredible dressing gowns near the end <laughs> with the fur on them which would be what I would remember but um, yeah it, it's it, you mentioned this is the first one done in Technicolor it's so interesting to me that this was kind of it for for Technicolor for Bachelor in the Bobby Socks was black and white. Um, uh, Miss Annie Rooney was black and white, which are the older movies that I'm most familiar with of hers. There, it was kind of funny. It's like they had just a little quick bloop of color for her, and then everything else was just back to black and white again. You know, presumably because her popularity was waning. But it, I don't know. For some reason, that always that makes me feel like. It's it's kind of weird. Like I don't remember things as in black and white. I and maybe I just had a better imagination as a kid. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I I don't know quite where I'm going with that. It's just I feel like I always imagine more Shirley Temple movies in color. Your brain color. Are. I think your brain colorizes them because you you're know. you're so familiar with just the idea of the little uh, red curly haired Shirley Temple mm-hmm. that. You, you think back of a film that you remember seeing Shirley Temple in, and obviously you saw her with red hair and At you some know, point, bright right. cherub face. Yes. Yeah, and just always imagined her that way. Yeah, I read, I think, a little bit of trivia about the, that they didn't do Technicolor because they were afraid that the, the as bright as the lights had to be, 
uh, to do color. They were afraid it'd be too harsh on the children, and they had to try to develop a way to be able to uh, like tone down the lights and do to do the color. That is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So. Wow, very. I mean, those lights must have been really hot, though. So mm-hmm. I can see that being. You know, don't put your children in. Uh, um, <laughs> I just lost my word for it. Hot tub. Don't put your children in hot tubs, by the way. Here's your PSA for the episode. So I, I, I read a little bit of trivia that they, they took a lot of pains into making this very period correct as far as the outfits and, 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 and the props. And I, as soon as I read that, I'm thinking, Lydia will have a thought on that. I have a huge smile on my face right now. Really? These were period correct? Huh, how interesting. <laughs> yeah, I definitely noticed some very interesting fabrics for being 1899. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, so I you mean, don't think they, do you, think, you think they missed the mark a little bit, huh? <laughs> I don't want to rip this to shreds. There was an effort made. There was a, an effort made. You can tell. Um, there are zero corsets in this movie. <laughs> and this is, for once, people, people, people. <laughs> for once, we're actually in an era where corsets existed. For once, we are. Uh, by the way, Regency, no such thing as corsets in the Regency. I will say it again at some point. But there is actually, we are actually in a, in a era for it, and it doesn't exist. It's, it's, we're in an era of Hollywood where they had the quote, clothes of the era, unquote, but they didn't give any thought to the structure of them. And so, yes, you can tell that they are trying to make it Victorian. Obviously, we're in the Victorian era. They set that up actually really nicely with a very, you know, big close-up of a pa- of a painting of Victoria in her declining years and, you know, God Save the Queen playing in the background and all of that. And it's, um, I think, it, I think it's really interesting that they worked really hard at it. I appreciate that because especially in the 1940s and 1950s, you see loads of Regency and Victorian era movies that are quote unquote, you know, historical movies, but they're wearing basically 50s, you know, evening dresses. And so they did make an effort. Was their effort historically accurate? No. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. But, you know, I appreciated that they did actually put in some effort on it. You can tell that they did, especially compared to some other things that we've watched. Um, Becky Sharp. Mm, mm-hmm. Not even close. <laughs> I, I, I remember you going on a rant about that one. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, this is this is the thing. We, in just like, a uh, great example, guys, when you're watching Dirty Dancing, that is a 1980s interpretation of fashion from the 1950s and 60s. It's not really what it looked like. But, you know, every every era has that they look back at fashion through their own lens. And so, yeah, I think it's really interesting that they tried really hard. They did some things in there that, that you can tell they were putting an effort in. And I really appreciated that. I find it really interesting, especially because... Hands down, if you're looking for historical accuracy in clothing, go to anything made by the BBC. Just go to anything made by the BBC. Do not look at American movies for accuracy in costuming. They just don't care. Just across the board, they don't care. 
but it's not that they don't care. It's that they don't, they miss it. They always miss something about it, right? But you can go back through anything done by the BBC and almost without exception, it's 100% spot on, perfectly accurate. So I, I'm totally, somebody's going to start sending me links saying, oh yeah, what about this one? Oh yeah, what about this one? But in general, guys. So it's interesting. I, I appreciate that they made the effort. It's, I don't want to rag on them too hard because you can tell they made an effort. But there also is... It, every dress that Shirley Temple wears in this looks like, to me, like a 1940s party dress. And so, meh. Okay. Meh. Except for the boots. The boots are great. Yeah, you could you explain to me exactly what she was doing with her boots when she was trying to get dressed. Oh, I actually have yeah. no idea. So they had, I, and I apologize, I don't know the word for it, but you, you, those boots actually buttoned. There was no such thing as zippers back then, and actually laces were very uncommon. And so shoes would often button. Um, they, if they laced, it was more of like a ribbon kind of situation. And they, she had a button hook, is what it was. That's what it's called. Thank you. It's a button hook, and you would put it through the loop that the button was meant to go through, hook around the button, and then pull the button through the loop. Ah. That's what she was doing with her trusty lance, which she says. And I, I actually know about this from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, this is why I know about this is from this movie. This is probably my first interaction ever with historical costuming. So, thank you, Shirley Temple. I appreciate it. You, you got me interested in it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, so as far as this movie itself goes, mm-hmm. um, so you said it was entertaining, you enjoyed it. How many times did you cry? Uh, none. I, I, how did you not cry during this movie? This I, movie I, is the most tragic, horrifying. The father, who, by the way, this is child abuse, <laughs> tells his daughter to go stand at the window, look out the window while he leaves her for an unspecified specified period of time and say, quote, my daddy has to go away, but he'll return most any day. Any moment I may, I may see my daddy coming back to me, which is child abuse <laughs> it's horrifying to have your little 10 year old kid standing there while you're sneaking out the door he's he's going to war not the liquor store <laughs> that makes it even worse that makes it even worse he's like yeah go stand by the window uh, i'll be back as soon as this war is over what what is what is oh it's just horrifying it's so awful and then of course when she hears that her father's dead shirley temple is an incredible crier. She just is an incredible crier. And who can look at a little kid crying and not feel sympathy? People are evil. But, <laughs> like, sympathy, right? It's And she is... And, of course, you know, they do the soft filter and they do the music and it's this horrifying situation. And then that's not the part that makes me cry. The part that makes me cry is the end. Mm. Which, if I talk about it, you'll know how it ends. So, but I can't watch the end without crying every dark time because it's so gut-wrenching. This movie is the saddest Shirley Temple movie ever made. It is so horrifyingly sad. I just, oh, especially if you're a girl that didn't have the best relationship with her dad at some point in her life, and then maybe you got a better relationship now, maybe you don't, but then you see like this really close father-daughter relationship, and then he does, he does this horrible thing where he sneaks out the door while she's standing there trying to be brave and not cry, and it's horrible! <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> ah, this has been Lydia's rant. So, <laughs> I, All right. 
I'm not going to say I didn't feel emotion at the emotion. end, but I, I, I did not shed tears. Okay. Well, I did. <laughs> but I, I'm a notorious crier. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. Uh, crying right now. I'm not crying right now. <laughs> but it, this is, it was interesting watching this movie because I'm watching it again for the first time, as I said, in probably 30 years. Genuinely, probably 30 years. And I'm watching it going, this is horrible. Like, this is so depressing. We didn't even talk about Cesar Romero. We kind of have to come back to Cesar Romero. Sure. Which is not the depressing part, guys. That was just a caveat. Um, and I'm going, are all of her movies this horribly depressing? Now, this <laughs> is the core of arguments of my childhood about Shirley Temple movies. My mom says they're heartwarming. My dad says they're depressing. Watching this movie, I agree with him. This is horribly depressing. And so, and like to the point where my dad like won't watch it if Shirley Temple's in it, which is too bad because there's some funny, actually I think The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer is the only movie he can tolerate with Shirley Temple in it. And watching this movie, I totally agree with him. I'm like, this is just like hit after hit after hit. like. She's left by her father, and then she finds out her father's dead, and then they take away all the birthday presents, and they make her sleep in the attic, and she's going from hospital to the hospital, hoping her dad is still alive. It's miserable. <laughs> it's genuinely miserable. So I researched. Okay. I went back and I watched two other Shirley Temple movies. <laughs> and I was like, I have to know, am I just deluding myself? Are all of Shirley Temple's movies ever made really horribly depressing as my dad claims? Or are they actually mostly heartwarming and really sweet? I came to a conclusion. Yes. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I do. Oh, here it comes. Yeah, this is the most depressing Shirley Temple movie ever oh, good. made. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> I, the other ones are so cute. We mentioned Stowaway. We mentioned Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. You were right. The other movies have more music in them. They have more singing and dancing in them. Not not to the level of what we think of now as a musical, right? Where almost every five minutes you got to have a song pop up. But certainly more of them. And so I think when we're talking about eventually rating this movie... We're going to have to have a conversation about if this is the Shirley Temple movie you should watch or not. Mm -hmm. um, and if you haven't watched any Shirley Temple movies, if this is the one to see, or if you should be watching other ones, or if you should just, you know, avoid. Okay. Yeah. But let's talk about Cesar Romero. Yeah, this is definitely not the movie you should watch if you're trying to watch a Cesar Romero movie. <laughs> it is not. But... We got, I saw him in the credits, and of course I know who Cesar Romero is. I love Cesar Romero. And I thought, Cesar Romero's in this? Yeah. What the heck? I, I, I saw that too. I was like, oh, I remember reading his name in like the credits. So I was like, oh yeah, that's exciting. I'm sitting here waiting, like, so where is it? wonder when he's going to show up. I wonder when he's going to show up. And then Did I you get finally... to the end of the movie before you saw who he was? No, I didn't get to the end, but I was about maybe 15 minutes in or whatever when I finally just had to pull up the IMDb on my phone and went, wait, he's Ron Doss? <laughs> I got to the end of the movie because I saw it at the beginning and was like, oh, he's Cesar Romero. And then I promptly forgot Cesar Romero was in it because I was busy remembering watching this movie. And then I got to the end and I was like, and then the credits come up and he's Ron Doss. And I was like, what? I had a, I had a 
Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder moment where yeah. I did not know he was not actually black. Okay? <laughs> you guys are going to think I'm the dumbest person alive. I just was lost in the story of it. And I'm not saying I thought Cesar Romero was an Indian man in this movie. It just, he just did not seem like Cesar Romero to me. And so then I had to go back and rewatch a scene with him in it and go, is that really him? Like, I didn't believe it was him. (laughs) It was bizarre. I'm still a little bit in denial, I think. (laughs) Well, in one of my favorite movies with him in it, he actually comes in dressed as a gypsy. I should have known. (laughs) I should have known it was him. I think genuinely, I honestly believe it's because his hair is covered and he has a beard. Mm -hmm. Would you ever see Cesar Romero with a beard? Yeah, he doesn't have like his signature full mustache that yes, I know him with. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was just so. It was just so special. It was just, <laughs> it was just so strange. I mean, he was the Joker. Yes. In Batman, and to see him as Ram Dass in this is just—he's so fun. He's just so <laughs> fun with his. I think it's. I think it's Punjabi. The head. The. Um, Headdress that he's wearing, the turban I'm, or whatever. The turban, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And the the <laughs> I'm flailing with my hands trying to gesture toward the clothing, but it's it, it's he's fascinating in it. He's super fun to watch, and you have no idea that it's him. I was as far as the the character one. I really like that when she sees him across the alley there and everything, and then she actually speaks to him in oh, his native so tongue. Salam, good morning, hi. Good morning. Mrs. Saab speaks Hindustani. I've lived in India all my life. You're like Bob Surtai. Ah, Sabdunya se achai. Mrs. Saab is going to live in England now? Only until my father gets through making the boards behave. This Saab is then a soldier. Yes, my father's a captain. Captain Crew. I'm Sarah. What is your name? I am Randas, servant to the Honorable Lord Wickham and to her lady Shibrani. <laughs> Randas! Randas! Yes, sir. Why the juicy are dawdling here? Finish with that burden. Get on with your work. Good morning. How do you do? I'll be here at the window most every morning in case you want to talk about India. Because she had, she grew up in India. Her father was stationed in India, so that's where she grew up. So she she knew the languages and everything. I'm like, oh, that's just really fun. That's this little great connection between these two characters. Mm-hmm. But that character, while having a, a big role to play, is not in the film that much. He's not. Yeah, which is, and he kind of makes this really great grand gesture towards the end of the film. You wonder why would he do that because you you feel like there's a lot more friendship that is not on film that is developed between the two he's the fairy godmother Mm -hmm. it's what he is he's the fairy godmother that's his role in this story there are a lot of gaps in this movie there are a a, the the end of this movie is nothing but loose but loose threads Mm -hmm. it's nothing but but I'm losing my analogies here, but there, the end of this movie is just, where's the rest of this movie? <laughs> we, we get to this point, and I'm not quite sure in the history of things that are going on right now, because there's a very, very heavily patriotic theme in this movie. Oh, yes. 
It was made in 1939. There's a war going on in Europe. It's a very patriotic movie. It's a very pro-England movie. And it leaves almost everything, all of the characters that you want to know what happened to them, even Miss Minchin. I'm kind of curious what happens to Miss Minchin at the end. And it just leaves all that. It just, it just goes, bleh, don't care. Yeah, no, there's no real closure for any of the characters in the film. I mean, not in a material way. Right. There definitely is. I mean, if you're talking about the arc of a story, you have a character, you have what the character wants, and what she wants is to be reunited with her father. That is answered fully. Uh, and what everybody else wants, hmm, eh. You don't really, eh. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's, I yeah. mean, it's called The Little Princess, not The School for Girls, I guess. But, right. <laughs> but even that, you know, and my husband said, isn't she penniless? Mm-hmm. The, you know, because her father has died and all of their assets have been seized. And, and at the end of the movie, she's, isn't she like penniless and homeless? <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, yes she is. <laughs> I'm trying not to give anything away here. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a conundrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as stories go, as completion of stories go, it kind of doesn't. I mean, it answers just that one little aspect of what she wants, but right. it doesn't answer absolutely anything else. No, no, we, we really don't get any uh, closure or not not fully anyway about uh, uh, Jeffrey and Rose. Oh, as far as I know, Becky is still in with the police. <laughs> she, yeah, who knows she, what... I think she died. They took yeah. her to prison and she died in prison because yeah. you never find out after she falls down on the pavement what happened to her. Right. Yeah. And really, who cares? She's just a uh, servant. Uh, that was sarcasm, guys. Have no idea if there's ever any resolution with uh, Jeffrey and his, what was it, his grandfather, uh, yes. Lord Wickham. Yeah, which... who just randomly decides to you know, foot the bill for this incredibly generous gesture. And very conveniently lives right next door to the school for girls. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a movie that is so well known. And we just accept it as a classic piece of Hollywood history and accept it as one of the greatest movies by Shirley Temple. But when you start to pick it apart, it's got some pretty big problems. Mm-hmm. And... I, I I feel a little bad saying that. I certainly shouldn't. I'm not hurting her by saying that. <laughs> she made a lot of money on this movie. You know, everybody made a lot of money on this movie. People still are making money on this movie today. We're still buying it, and which is great. But it's also very. It wouldn't work today. You couldn't have this story and the way that it ends today, even kind of retold as the last remake of The Little Princess was in the 1980s or the 1990s? Is that oh, right? I, did, I don't know. I, did, I didn't know. I want to say 95, I think, was the last remake of it. Uh, nine, there's a 96, but I don't think that's the same thing. 90, 1995 was the last time it was made again. And for good reason, it's a real downer of a story. It's a story about a little girl who's not abandoned. It's not fair to say she's abandoned, but she is definitely left by her lone parent 
in, you know, a strange place and everything goes wrong for her and it's just depressing. It's just so depressing. Yeah, I think uh, modern audiences would definitely sit and watch the story and at the end go, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do, obviously, because that's yeah. the conversation we're having. Wait, what happened to this person? What happened to that person? Where's Becky now? You know, and you have to resolve that. In today's for today's audience, you have to tell what happened to the servants because... Mm-hmm. Holy cow, if you don't. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, downstairs is just as important as upstairs in today's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you want to know what happened to Miss Minchin? Nothing, like, nothing seems to happen to her. Sorry, guys, if I'm giving that away, but she's just, she's just fine. And she's right. the bad guy. You can't have the bad guy be just fine. What? This is Prince Humperdinck all over again. What? You mean he wins? Jesus, Grandma, what would you read me this thing for? <laughs> it's like, what? What is this? It's, uh, so it sounds like I hated this movie. I hated that. No, I didn't hate this movie. <laughs> but, it, but it is hard to love this movie, I think. Uh, unless you're just, just really, like, just living for the costumes. And the right. pony. I gotta say, man, that pony is adorable. It was a very cute pony. <laughs> yeah, do we want to just go ahead and jump to, to rating the film? Yeah, I think let's talk about... Uh, before we do that, let's talk about whether you would watch intentionally another Shirley Temple movie after this. I, I would. I think I would go for one of the more the earlier and more uh, maybe well-known or the more... Um, you know, the ones with the songs or something mm-hmm. go back and watch was it bright eyes or or something you know, with the uh, the good ship lollipop you know i'd want to watch the films that made her the star mm-hmm. that that she was i i would go back and and watch um i this is not the film i would recommend people start their shirley temple journey on mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination not even not having seen any other shirley temple films <laughs> in memory Mm-hmm. This is not the one I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. She was becoming famous in an era where things tended to feel very gimmicky. And so there definitely was an age where she was becoming very popular, but you can also see that the the crisp responses that she has in this aren't quite in place yet. She's She feels much more directed in earlier movies this is i think a great example of her interacting very naturally with everybody around her um a couple years before this she did a movie called stowaway and as i mentioned with robert young and it is hands down my absolute favorite shirley temple movie and i i love the bachelor and bobby soxer i love her later stuff i think she was adorable i think it's confusing to me that she didn't become popular as a teenage actor because she was still super cute it wasn't Mm -hmm. like she got like hit with the ugly stick or anything like that when she got older she just you know wasn't a child anymore and so people kind of discarded her and I, i imagine there were other people that were coming up that were she has this very childish cute appearance and so it was harder for her to transition probably the way that other actors that were her age that then became more you know bombshell kind of characters did right well do you think when they become teenagers and young adults suddenly they have a lot of competition Mm -hmm. there's lots of teenagers and young adults that are out there whereas when she was the child the super talented child Mm -hmm. that made her unique Mm -hmm. being a super talented adult Oh, there's you're a dime a dozen. Yeah, that is very true. So there, I I think 
any of the movies that I mentioned, I would say, yeah, go and watch them. I think it's more, I think it is fun to watch her as a young person and then to see her in some stuff when she's a little bit older. I recommend that. Uh, I, I think that there's some questionable casting. She's always later cast as a real kind of dreamy, head in the clouds kind of character. And I think part of that is because of her demeanor, because of her childish kind of innocence thing. But they're still fun to watch. The stories are still really cute. Um, definitely the music in Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm is really good. And uh, the story, my favorite storyline is this is Stowaway. It's because the there this this there's not a lot of story in The Little Princess. It's kind of you can sum it up in a in a single sentence. But um, Stowaway, there's a lot more depth to the story. I the same thing with Sun, Rebecca Sunnybrook Farm. There's not a lot of depth to the story. It's just kind of a very linear storyline, similar to this. It's almost like they. They, because they're focusing on the dancing, the singing, they don't feel like they need a whole lot of storyline in it. So, um, I, but you know, it's funny that, that that perpetual argument in my house growing up existed because <laughs> I don't feel like all of her story, I don't feel like all of her movies are super depressing. I think that if you're a person that can't comfortably watch children cry, which that's a, that's a compliment to my dad, right? is he's not standing there like laughing when kids are crying <laughs> thanks dad <You> know? <laughs> then yeah you're gonna have a hard time with shirley temple movies because without fail there is a part in a shirley temple movie where she is going to cry 100 percent of the time 99 percent of her movies she's an orphan <laughs> that's a slight exaggeration mona lee a slight one because you know it's hard to feel a strong connection for an adorable little child when they have both parents and they're perfectly happy that's the drama right. of the story but I do recommend watching it. Again, Heidi, I think, is the other one that I always thought everybody's like, oh, Heidi, Heidi, Heidi. But I, I feel like Heidi's just depressing to begin with. It's about a little girl who can't walk, which is depressing to begin with. <laughs> Not, that sounds horrible. Now I feel like I sound like a cold, heartless person. I mean, I'm so sad for the kid that I like it, it distracts from the story for me. But I agree. I would definitely love to go back. I, I rewatched a couple of them today. Um, and I'm excited to go back and watch the ones where she's older, especially, man, if you got Cary Grant and Myrna Loy in it, how can you pass that up? I am definitely going to check that one out. Just, oh, gosh. just based on cast alone. Yeah. I just, I just hands down think it's just, you don't have to twist my arm very hard to watch <laughs> Myrna Loy and something. Oh you know? gosh. Yeah. Me neither. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say woof, but I'm going to give people the wrong impression. There. So she's, she's phenomenal. She's so incredibly gorgeous. But yeah, so okay, yeah, let's do go ahead. I think we're, I think I've talked that out. We can go ahead and rate this sucker. All right, yeah. It, first of all, it was really interesting that you said that you feel like some of the films didn't really worry about the plot so much because they focused on the song and dance. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like this movie wanted to be that, but it didn't have the song and dance. Mm -hmm. When we get introduced to, like, to Ram Dass, I'm thinking, oh, there'll be a number between these two. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Doesn't oh. you know? Doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, here's here's cute little Becky. Oh, there, there's going to be a, a, a song or something from Becky. Oh my gosh, right? that would have been adorable. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it does. It it doesn't happen. Um, there's going to be more with uh, her and uh, and uh, Hubert, the the brother. You know, Bertie, Bertie. Yeah. Uh, because we find out that he actually used to be a stage performer. Mm -hmm. We get a little hint of it <laughs> we get the same song both times but with different verses yes and so we get a 
dream sequence sort of shoehorned in towards the end of the film. Which for allows runtime. <laughs> which allows everyone to, to do a little sing and dance. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just... It's, it's not where you want it to be and not with the people that you want it to be with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as far as ratings go, yeah, I didn't not enjoy the film. I just feel like I was um, cheated maybe a little bit of what Shirley Temple and everybody had to offer. Mm-hmm. Between one and five. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to just saddle it right there in the middle with, with like a three. Yeah, it's not that it's bad. It's it's just not great. It's it's good. And yeah, that's that's just it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, that's what we're here to, that's what we're doing, right? Is we're saying, well, is this the best movie I've ever seen? Should is this the movie? If you're gonna watch a movie from this era, is this the movie? And mm-hmm. I'm with you on it. I don't think it is. I think that it's interesting i think there are other movies from this era there's a version of little women from around this time you know there are oh gosh oh the scarlet pimpernel oh you know there we are we had movies. so much fun with that one. Oh my gosh we still to this day we quote that in my house oh yeah well of course it rhymes it's a poem <laughs> i mean you just uh there's just such great stuff in there there's nothing in this that you're gonna quote you're not gonna go back and be like oh, let's watch that again it was so much fun to cry so, um, but the, the only thing I might quote is many happy returns. Many happy returns. <laughs> yeah, I know Becky's adorable, but there's, there's, there's yeah. <laughs> Lydia turned into a turkey just then. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think I would give it a really, really solid three. There's, it's a, it is a classic. It's there's some stuff in it that happens that, like it at the end, the catalyst. When she, I'm not going to give it away, but she backs into a room and they're all saying, you can't go in there, you can't go in there. And then she turns around and I got chills. I genuinely got chills. I was like, oh my gosh. Because <laughs> you know? I had forgotten that what happens at that moment. Is that happened. really her? Yes. And I was so excited. I thought, oh wow, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? And then thinking about the person who she runs into, her story. And how mm-hmm. her compassion, why she has the compassion she has. Uh, this, that's a way better story, by the way. <laughs> Is, oh, uh, which, you know, I don't, I don't want to go into it. I really want to talk about it, but that's not what this movie's about. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's, I think it's a solid three. It's not a movie that you, you watch it and just go, this is the worst movie ever made. It's got a really, really strong cast in it. A really strong cast. There, it's funny. It's not the strong cast. Like we we watch other movies where it's like every single person in it is just a mega star. This it's more like every single person in it you've seen in something, right? Mm-hmm. But they're all good, and they're they're strong characters, and they're strong. It's strong casting, and they're enjoyable. All the characters are entertaining to see. Um, but if I were going to tell you to watch a Shirley Temple movie, I, hands down, I'd say watch The Stowaway. Um, it's just. The, the, the storyline, there's always a romance in a Shirley Temple movie. I've never seen a Shirley Temple movie without romance in it. The romance in it's much better. The music is really good. It's cute. It's got some of the people in it from this movie also. Um, unfortunately, you don't get to see Bernie dance again, which is too bad because knowing that he can, I really wish he had in Stowaway. But um, yeah, I, I think three is, three is where I fall on this one too. I wanted to like it more, but 
it would have had to, I think, have wrapped up more of the characters' stories. I, I think if it had done that, I probably could have given it a four. But I feel like we were left with some cliffhangers at the end, so yeah. that was a little disappointing. Yeah, this is a this is a film for if you're a Shirley Temple uh, completionist, you want to mm-hmm. watch all her films. That's why you watch this film. Yeah, or any anybody that acts in this, if you want, or if you're a completionist yeah, sure. of them, if you want to see everything Cesar Romero ever did, this is a great role for him. It's a small role, but I think he's delightful. I think mm-hmm. he's so lovely, and I think Bertie is delightful. I think Arthur Treacher is just wonderful in this. Everybody that's in I think Sybil Jackson's adorable. It just doesn't have the full wrap of satisfaction at the end to make it a favorite. All right, well, I think that probably wraps up The Little Princess. Always fun to talk about. Shirley Temple Hour with Christopher and Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we'll leave it at that. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, do tune in in another month. We'll be back with another episode with another fun film and uh, hopefully another fine and fun discussion. And happy holidays. Thanks for joining oh, us. Oh, absolutely. I almost forgot. Thank you very much for reminding <laughs> me. I think we uh, completely forgot to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving last episode. So, oh, yes, happy did. holidays to everybody. <laughs> yes. uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, safe I, I, travels safe travels uh, yeah all oh, whatever i mean there's Kwanzaa probably like and... a half dozen holidays that fall this time of year so yes. i hope you enjoy yourselves uh enjoy spending time with your family or not spending time with your family as the case may be <laughs> both can be enjoyable. <laughs> enjoy some time off from work hopefully it's a great time to sit down and watch some nice old movies oh it is it is oh such a great time oh and there's so many good christmas movies that came out between 1920 and 1970 watch them all so yeah i guess we will be back in the new year yes our next episode will be in january of 2024 which is insane that's like the future (laughs) 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 all right well that is gonna do it thank you very much for listening everybody goodbye bye